So welcome to the next episode of the Can Marketing Save the Planet podcast. Today, Gemma and I are thrilled to be joined by Simon Dawes, who is the head of net zero and circular economy at the Environment Agency. Simon, welcome to the podcast. Hello, very nice to be here. Great. So it's really great to have you here. We were introduced to you when we heard you speaking on an ed.net webinar and um, talking about the practicalities of transitioning to net zero. So we want to dive into all of that with you and about the work that you've been doing around carbon literacy as well. But before we do, do you want to just give us a bit of an update about what it is that you're, you're doing, your role and how you've come to be doing what you're doing at the Environment Agency? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Michelle. Um, crikey. So um, I've been an, an environmental professional for uh, over 20 years now. It slightly makes me cringe uh, to say that. And very specifically been working in the field of sus- sustainability for the last oh, 13 or so. So um, in that time, I've, I've led the Environment Agency uh, on a bit of a journey that's transformed from a very compliance focused activity to a much more sustainable business. And in, in, in recent years, really focused in hard on the climate element of that and, and driving net zero. I think, um, we like quite a few companies, although not so many in the public sector made a, a really bold commitment around, uh, 2019 to commit to be net zero by 2030. Um, which was great. And then, uh, since then had to figure out actually exactly how are we going to do that? That's a a big claim. How do we get from where we are now through to, uh, where we've said we want to be by 2030? And to, to be clear, so we've been, we've been tackling our carbon footprint since 2006, but actually in that net zero target, we've included all of the emissions wrapped up in our supply chain which is absolutely the right thing to do. And it's where the vast majority of them lie. So um, that is, uh, as our chief of staff said to me, um, this changes everything. This this is a fundamental, if we're going to reach this goal, it's a fundamental change to the way we think and make decisions and uh, act uh, in the business. So that's a hugely exciting thing. So I'm I'm very much motivated by driving change uh, and I'm very much motivated by addressing the climate emergency. So in many respects, I sit in a really privileged position to be able to to lead that. Yeah, and as you mentioned, scope three is 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 a minefield, isn't it, of trying to unpick that and relying on on others also to be in a position of having started that journey and looking at their emissions, which many haven't yet, have they? Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, for, for us, scope three is the absolute lion's share of our carbon emissions. So, uh, I'm going to get the number slightly wrong, but in, in the order of around 84% of our emissions lie in the supply chain. Um, the vast majority of that, so 70% is from the construction activity that we do. So we, we build the country's flood defenses. Uh, and traditionally, they're built out of concrete and steel, which are uh, pretty um, carbon intense materials. And we've got a £5.2 billion construction program. So we do a lot of it. Mm. So, um, yeah, we're heavily reliant on a complex system that delivers that for them to be on the same journey with, as us with that. I think there's a, there's, 
there's room for us to help and, and drive performance in the supply chain. And for me, that's where it gets really interesting mm. because uh, delivering on our own footprint w- would be good. But if we can influence a whole bunch of other companies who work for us to deliver on theirs too, then so much the better because the reality is they're not just going to address the bit of their footprint that is associated with our work. They'll, they'll affect all of their work. So the ability to drive change at scale is, um, well, on the one hand, it's daunting. On the other hand, it's, it's quite exciting. So yeah. you're exactly right, Gemma. Yeah. It it's is a bit of carrot and stick, isn't it, really? It's, it's almost between businesses across those networks, carrot and stick, because I think those businesses that, that, that don't get on board for whatever reason now, whether it's, it's too overwhelming, they've got priorities around, you know, cost of living and, and, and all of the rising prices, it's going to enter a point where it could could eliminate them from any future business if if they're not on that journey with everyone else, can't well, it? You, you're exactly right. And in the public sector, for certainly for large contracts, that and, and we take it beyond that, um, that's already in place. So for any contract over five million pounds uh, in the public sector, suppliers now have to. It, it's a it's a requirement that they have to provide a carbon reduction plan. So if if you haven't got that in place, you won't make it onto the uh, you won't make it onto the tender list. So and and that's something that we've started to look at really in earnest around who who do we invite to the door to come and present to us, and then when they're there, how do we again exactly as you said, how do we on the one hand hold them to to account, and on the other hand, how do we incentivize them? So we're starting to look at those pain gain mechanisms whereby people who overperform. You know, there's an incentive, a financial incentive there for them to do that. And where they underperform, actually, how do we how do we claw back some costs that we can then divert back into uh, other carbon reducing initiatives? Great. And of course, that's also continues to have that almost domino effect, doesn't it? Because those organisations that are coming and tendering with you will also have suppliers in their supply chain. <laughs> so they impact their scope three and they, their suppliers will have supplies in their you know, supply chain that impact their skin. So it kind of, it trickles all the way back, doesn't it? To, to very small organisations being asked for their disclosures as well. They may not be involved directly with the £5 million projects, but they are part of the chain along the way. And so it, it kind of improves everything. Yeah, and, and to be, it, it does. And I guess two thoughts spring to mind to that. You know, one, that's what we need to do if we're yes. going to get to where we need to get to as a planet, you know. Um, secondly, there is, um, there is an onus on us as a, as a client sitting at the, you know, top of that triangle to make it as easy as possible for people to report because, and I I say that in the full knowledge that we don't always, but it's something that we're aware of and working on because the easier we can make it for people, the better quality data we will have. And, And part of making it easy is working with other client organizations you know the likes of the highways agency or, or sorry i think they're highways england now or, or hs2 or wh- whoever to ask for the same things at the same time in the same way yes so instead of companies spending lots of effort on servicing all these slightly different requests yeah. around carbon they can do it once and use it for multiple purposes that's the dream anyway and it gets it into into everyday conversation then, doesn't it? That business as usual conversation around sustainability, around 
you know, carbon emissions around how that we need a different way of doing business moving forward. Um, and I think you, you can be a great enabler of that by, by having these conversations and, and, and trying to, as you say, make it as easy as possible for them to get involved and, and be part of it. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So, um, you know, organisations say things and then, and then actually what, what people experience and feel can, can be different. Yeah. So traditionally, you know, we've said, and I'm massively simplifying this, build it on time, build it to budget, make sure it works and don't hurt anybody while you're doing it. And those are all super valid, valuable things. We now need to have carbon in that conversation. Again. So build it on time, do it to budget, don't hurt anybody, make sure it delivers what we want it to l- deliver and come within the carbon budget that we've allocated for, for this piece of work. And that's what good looks like. So that's that's the place that we're really trying to navigate to. Fantastic. Fantastic. So as part of this conversation then around carbon, that leads us nicely into the carbon literacy piece, people understanding carbon. Um, of, of course, not just at that level about you need to be working within the budgets, but but understanding the importance of why this is so important. You know, this isn't just some regulation that's being enforced and, oh, you know, it's another tick box we have to go through. This is this is critical, as you said, for you know how we all move forward in a in a sustainable way, and how we how we really continue to 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 have humanity functioning and thriving on on the planet. And so, carbon literacy is something when I uh, Gemma and I wrote a book. We then became completely absorbed. Um, we had no idea when we when we set off writing and researching sustainable marketing, how to drive profits with purpose, that this would then take over our lives. And it would be the trajectory that we felt impassioned about, oh my goodness, we did not know that. Many marketers probably do not know this. This is a critical uh, conversation that we need to be part of around behavior change. And, And so we need to do something about it. And as part of that learning process. Um, We took ourselves back to business school. And as part of that training, one of the areas we touched on was carbon literacy. Now, for us personally, we we now have developed a carbon literacy training for marketers. We feel that that's a great jump off point for organizations to be thinking about carbon literacy as, as understanding what that means from a practical perspective. Because unlike Unlike digital transformation and many other uh, areas, sustainability is very personal. And we're talking about things that matter. You know, climate, the climate crisis is personal. These things that matter to, to, to us all as individuals. And I think the carbon literacy piece really brings that home. Once you understand, oh, my goodness, you know, the way we eat the way we travel, the way we heat our homes, the way we're operating our businesses. This is all having a detrimental impact. We need to do something about this. And what can we do about it? And what does that look like? It starts to, it starts to build momentum. And so I was really heartened to hear uh, when you were talking in the ED webinar about just how your organization has embraced carbon literacy throughout can you tell us a little bit about what that program looks like yeah sure um so for us carbon literacy was it was about the if you, you, your listeners and you know the 
story about you know the to- toilet cleaner at NASA he you know Kennedy stopped by and said what what are you doing here and she said oh, I'm helping to put a man on the moon mm. and it's the same kind of thing really we want everybody in the organization to understand that their job is actually a climate job yeah they are helping us uh achieve um net zero and I think um and part of that is because you know with the best will in the world and I'll il- illustrate this in a minute with the best will in the world my team if it was just down to my team, we would never get there yes. because it's too systemic. It's too complex. It's across every single thing that we do. And there's just not the numbers or the knowledge in, in my team to, to be able to do that. So despite the fact that, you know, instinctively we're an organization of 12,000 environmental professionals. So our knowledge would be reasonably high. We felt that we wanted to put this carbon literacy package together to really help achieve that, you know, golden thread goal um so we put a three module package together in collaboration with the carbon literacy trust so really looking module one science and the politics you know what is the science really telling us which appeal to our organization you know it's the nature of that we're quite scientific um and and the policy bit as well then module two really getting into the environment agency's impact where does our impact lie what does our footprint look like what are we currently doing about it what might we do about it in the future and then option three sorry module three very much focused in on and what can you do as individuals in in your personal life and uh i guess one of the things that we found or one of the un- unexpected benefits of doing this, it, it's become increasingly obvious. Um, a lot of our people have quite a good, you know, quite a sense of eco-anxiety around the climate emergency because mm. if you've got a bit of knowledge yeah. and you apply that knowledge rationally, you can get into quite a place of this, this is not great because, frankly, it's not great. Yeah. But actually what the carbon literacy packages really help people with is to go, oh, I can do something about it. I can do a little bit in my role and that will help me feel good. You know, I might not be working in the sustainability team or I might not be a big flood risk scheme designer, but I can do something. And I'll give you an example. And this also illustrates the point of why um, why this is so much better than leaving it with my team because we would never have dreamed this up. So one of the guys from the IT uh, function phoned me up and said, oh, I had a request to improve the data transfer rates on 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 our laptops for one of the teams. Um, but in order to do that, I need to increase the, I'm going to get this slightly wrong, the, you know, the technical details, but I need to increase the the power consumption on the on the USB ports, but I'll need to do it across all 12,000 laptops. Uh, and, and I've done the sums and I've worked out it will have this carbon impact. I'm really worried about it. So is it okay with you if you know will you support us to say no and they'll we'll, we'll need to find this other way to address their data transfer issue that's amazing because in, in the past that person would have just gone yeah we'll just turn the power yeah. consumption up yeah so that's that's just a wonderful example for me of where and, and you know being very truthful about it that's not the biggest it's not the biggest chunk of the footprint you know it's it, you know it's a minute little piece but from a cultural point of view and from that person really feeling like they're contributing point of view, that's brilliant. 
I think one of the other really key learnings for us was, despite the fact that we're an organisation of 12,000 environmental professionals who know a lot, I think everybody was slightly surprised how much they didn't know. When you look across the entire package of all of it, you know, nobody's got the, the full sketch from start to finish. So, and I include myself very much in that. Um, so in that sense, it's been fantastically helpful. And, and one of the things that I think stood us in really good stead with it, our executive, uh, executive leadership team started with it and they all did it and they made a really big deal about the fact that they'd done it and these were their commitments. Uh, and then they really promoted it hard in the organization. We had a bit of debate at the start around, should we mandate this course? And we took the view that um, actually we wanted people to do it because they wanted to do it rather than mandating it. And I'm super pleased to say that today we've got about 9,300 people that have been through it, which it'd be easy to jump to, well, why isn't it 12,000, right? <laughs> you know, you get a percentage of people who are off sick, you got a percentage of people who are on maternity leave or paternity leave and, and you know, new starters and timing. So actually 9,300 is not bad. And Impressive. I think we'll be the first, certainly the first public sector organisation in the UK to achieve platinum status. So um, we're really excited about that. It's been one of the best things we've done uh, in recent years in terms of really engaging people and seeing results as a result of it that is that is an impressive impressive training but how long did it take you to get to those nine thousand plus people oh good question um when did we go live with it it it's probably about a year actually now thinking about it i think we launched actually no we launched last yes actually it is almost a year we launched last june um, so, you know, we're just under 12 months and that's vo- and of, on a voluntary basis. And a good chunk of that has been, you know, we did a good, a good chunk of promotion around yes. it at the start, as you'd expect, and I used the leadership team to, to push it. But actually, the approval rating on the course has been a 98% would highly recommend it. Yeah. And so there's been a degree of, instead of it feeling like a chore, oh, I've got to do my carbon people have really enjoyed yeah. doing it and they've done it as teams and we've had the team discussion at the end of it and yeah it was really hard work putting the brief together and developing the content um but like all things that are worth doing you know yeah. all things it, it it was worth putting that effort in up front because it it's led to that um final result and people talk about it, don't they? When they've done it, they start talking about it. They don't just talk about yes. it at work. They go home and they talk about it. You know, we've put we've put so many people through carbon literacy training and they come back to us and just say, just want to, you know, say thank you for that. It was really enlightening. And, and you've put a real rocket up me and I haven't stopped talking about it at home. And now the family don't want to talk to me when I come in. It really does get under your skin, doesn't it? It really yeah. does make you think about like you say just that that example you gave around it when we when we talk about you know marketers sending emails and and i've you know we've read loads of articles that gave emails just at literally the tiniest amount of carbon but we sent 322 billion of them in 2022 (laughs) and you know that's where that collective piece of cultural change of behavior comes in of don't say thank you every time someone sends an email just set the set the you know the standard of we're going to assume that you're you're saying thank you for this piece of information and I think 
those tiny little tiny no matter how small they are those actions do add up but for sure and um actually i hope you'll forgive me for this but um I also chair a small climate action charity called Protect Our Winters UK, which is focused on the snow sports industry. And carbon literacy is one of the things that we deliver through the charity. And just giving people both the knowledge, but and this to your point, Gemma, so the knowledge is one thing, but giving them the language to be able to yeah. talk about it. Mm. Certainly what we do with Protect Our Winters is it's very much focused on the snowboard, the ski, the mountain bike industry. So, and you know, that, that world has its own vernacular yeah. uh, as well. You know, it's, it's quite different to my corporate world that I exist in, but just being able to give people the language to have the access to be able to work it through in their own minds and apply it to their world is so, so important. And um, yeah, it, it's just been hugely valuable. Another point you raised um, was around uh, carbon budgets. Um, and, you know, we, we, every function has a carbon budget associated. I think from a marketing, marketing perspective, probably one of the biggest carbon blowers um, in, in an organisation in terms of, you know, the communications, the innovations, the products. That, the scope three of a marketing budget is is horrifically high, isn't it, in terms of, product usage, product waste, uh, the products out there when, you know, they're going through their life cycle. Um, can you talk around any sort of practicalities around carbon budgets? Do you see them becoming something that organisations will be measured on in terms of, you know, in, in the same way as having financial budgets set for the year? That's certainly the approach we're going down with environment agencies. So, I'll tell you a little story of kind of how it came about because hopefully that will help you see the logic. So mm. we, when we developed our net zero roadmap, we assigned every single action in there to a director in the business because that was the right thing for them to do. So they owned a chunk of the emissions, so they, they owned the actions. And occasionally we'd get stuck. And whenever we got stuck, I always came back to how does the cash work? How does the cash flow? Because the the decisions that affect those emissions normally go with whoever owns the cash so and and it served us as a really good principle for for aligning directors to the appropriate actions and so when we'd finished doing the roadmap we went this principle works really really well it stood us in really good stead why don't we extend it further and develop carbon budgets and having said that as you know an idea off the top of the, our heads and then stood back and thought about it a bit I started to think well yeah actually this does make perfect sense mm -hmm. because we're very used to making decisions in the in the business around have I got enough cash yes you know, I've got a finite amount of cash have I got enough yeah we've got a finite amount of carbon if we're going to get to net zero by 2030 exactly. so it's exactly the same principle yep so and we need to start making decisions as an organization. Can I afford this? Have I got enough cash? Can I afford this? Have I got enough carbon budget? Yeah. So what we've done, we've worked, again, we've done the legwork and we pulled in a really cross-business virtual team with finance, business planning, corporate planning, um, my team, um, the really big emitters around the business and then the people who would be owning the budgets. And we developed all the principles around how would a carbon budget work. When we'd 
done that and sort of designed the framework and the structure, you know, so answering the questions that you'd never even thought of, like, and you go overspent. Yeah. <laughs> what happens if you go what overspent? Yeah. yeah. Do you do you borrow it from the next year yeah. or do you backlit it? Or, or another almost, division. Yeah. Yeah. All those questions. So we worked out that framework and then we did the with the carbon accounts that we've got, we worked out how to take our total allocation and and spread it around the business. So allocate it to the different business units. Uh we've taken a slightly trial approach. So we're our organization is split up into 15 national geographical areas. And then there's a whole bunch of head office teams. So we've rolled it out across the 15 geographical areas first. That's from the 1st of April. And then to enable people to understand how they're doing against their budget, we've developed a digital carbon dashboard uh, at the same time. So people can look at their dashboard and go, I've got this much budget. I've spent this much this month and I can see that I've spent it on travel, buying computers. I've bought three diggers, a tractor and 25 cars or, you know, um, you know yeah. whatever that looks like. And this much clothing because, you know, clothing is is another one that, that, that we buy a bit of. Um, and that will ha- start to help people understand that the decisions that they make have carbon consequences as well as cash yeah. consequences. So we're going to see how that goes. You know, wow. as I said, I rolled it out at the start of April. It's all been good so far, but I suspect the rubber will hit the road when quarter one comes and we have to run that first set of quarterly uh, reporting. There's a couple of iterations to to have from that. So really factoring it into our, at the moment, what we're doing is looking back a little bit. So, you know, what has happened we want to start to move into the place where we put it into our planning and allocation and forecasting. Yeah. So what does what does looking forward uh, look like? And then if, you know, this, this is, I'm thinking a little way off, linking that into what good looks like and executive reward will be yeah. um, another part of the step in that journey. So we say to people, well done, you've done a good job. You've done everything you said you were going to do. Your people are happy. Uh, you've spent to your budget and you've spent to your carbon budget. Well done. Good job. So we want to move to that place eventually. So, you know, at the moment we've got our big toe in the water. We're, yeah. It sounds, right? it does, it sounds yeah. amazing. It does do you, sound incredible. Do, do, do you know if any other organisations are doing this? Good question. Um We've come across people who've sort of done versions of it. So, but at the risk of sounding like I'm blowing my own trumpet, um, a, a number of organisations have set an internal carbon price that allow you know helps them work out their decision making. Haven't come across anybody yet, and that's not to say they haven't. They've set it as an operational constraint. I, yeah. you know, we've got yeah. this much to play with, yeah. and we've just got to make decisions within that envelope. Yeah. I haven't come across anybody who's done that no. yet, but there may well be. Well, well, neither have we. And that's why when when you were talking about that, uh, my ears pricked up. I was like, whoa, you know, this is this, this. And, and when, I mean, obviously, like you say, you're in the first iterations of it. But it, it sounds to me that if that gets cracked as a solution, just as finances, you know, as you say, budgets, it's normalized, isn't it? We all are very comfortable operating within the, the boundaries of what those financial budgets look like, operating therefore in balance within the boundaries of what those carbon budgets look like. 
should be business as usual. I wonder if your platform will be something that could be open sourced. Um, you so that, you know, rather because I suspect it's something that many organisations are going to struggle with. Yeah. So I mean, and we would love that to happen. You know, we being public sector organisation, we yeah. have no. no no interest in keeping things to ourselves far from it and in fact i was talking to a, a group of a newly formed group of cross-government finance directors the other day and articulating this around budgets and saying the need to build in carbon values to to our general ledger such that when we run the regular accounts it spits out carbon values as yeah. well would be amazing and transformational if we can do that across government i think the only the only I've described to you, you know, I think what I've described is relatively simplistic and, and, and good in theory, but I'm so conscious that we have an army of accountants running our finance department and we've yeah. got a small team yeah. running. Yeah. So, you know, the end game, or well, not the end game, but part of the plan for the next sort of two to three years is to transition the carbon accounting to the finance department because it's just numbers. It's yeah. just numbers like cash. It is. Yeah. But- but we often talk about, you know, so from a marketing perspective, because, you know, this is can marketing save the planet? Um, if an organization has got net zero targets and indeed the marketing budget is often behind R&D is often the second biggest budget on the on the on the line. So um, so as Gemma said, you know, you could be blowing a lot of, of, of the budget from a carbon perspective without even thinking about it. If 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 indeed the objectives of the marketers aren't aligned with the objectives of the business, which they usually are around financial growth or moving into a new territory or whatever that looks like. But of course, if there is a carbon budget, that's going to that's going to mean that the marketers have to think about the balance. You know, yes, it might be cheap to do email and cheap to do certain aspects of digital, but actually from a carbon perspective, they can well, from some of the data we've seen you know that that means that there is a significant impact so it's going to change the way communication the way marketing the way business is operates when you have to look through two lenses rather than just one i think yeah you're absolutely right i think the other area and you know i'm now i'm starting to stray into territory that you know i, I know far less about but where marketing can really help i is that cultural change piece particularly around you know the business model and moving away from you know take make dispose business yes. models to, yeah. to circular business models yeah. so helping people understand and, and i'm thinking that the likes of patagonia and folks do this brilliantly well so instead of getting a new shiny thing every time yeah. actually there's this huge value and kudos in returning yeah. it to us we'll repair it and then it'll come back to you or, or whatever that looks like but Marketing has an amazing role to play there in uh, making that socially cool rather than having uh, a new shiny thing. But as I say, I'm slightly straying into territory I know far less about. Yeah, that's happening. You know, you see a lot of the pre-loved, you know, and and Mm. now it's becoming, uh, you know, cool, isn't it? To, you know, not buy new stuff, you know, but to to go vintage or pre-loved, you know, which effectively is secondhand, you know. You talk. We talk about marketing, but also communication. Like, mm. so what? What was the role? How did you communicate this across such a vast organisation? And you know, in and and get the, that carbon literacy piece because that's often again a big a big 
challenge and a big barrier to organizations, uh, you know, once you get to a certain size is how do you get employees engaged in this? And I appreciate you're the environment agency, (laughs) so they naturally have, you know, a bit more of an interest. But generally, you know, that that's a huge hurdle. A lot of internal communications uh, sort of initiatives fail because the communication is is um, is flawed um, and, and it's not something that necessarily inspires people. Did you do anything kind of really well that got them ready to go and wanting to engage on the level that, you know, is is quite unprecedented from, from what we know to date? Um, I think it, it definitely helped getting the executive on board yeah. really early and getting them to talk about, so in every staff call, so our chief executive would hold an all staff call for all 12,000 people every um, month. And, you know, we, we got him to, in, we inserted it in there yeah. all the, all the time. And we used our very, we didn't carpet bomb the organization, but we used the right channels at the right time in the right, in the right way. I think mm. we also, I mean, you know, this comms professionals out there far more informed than me. And I've got a brilliant comms team who helped with this, but we really went large on the why, I think. So what, why are we, why are we doing this? Why is it important? Cause I think that that really helped people. And then, off once a few people have done it and we've got some momentum we we got we really so we made a big noise about it yeah. got some people doing it it went quiet for a bit and then we came back to it and said hey your colleagues are doing this and they're finding it really good and we did some little case studies of people saying oh i did this and i found this yeah. and i did this and, and we also actually one of the things we did which stood us in really good stead right from the very start we designed um a data and metric strategy alongside it. So we were able to say who'd done what, where, and we could show some competition. So across those 15 geographical areas, a couple of areas stood out of being brilliant and a couple stood out being terrible. Um, and we just kept shining a light on that. And Kel surprise, it normalized itself because yeah. the ones who were terrible wanted to catch up with the No one wants to be at the bottom of the league table. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's there's no, no rocket science about it, but I actually have making sure we had the strategy in place to be able to capture the data yeah. to play it into the comms yeah. uh, was useful. I think um, I think something that we did, we really took our time to plan it. it. There's a real temptation to just charge on because it's really important. We want to get going with it, but we took our time to plan out the content to plan out the delivery, to plan out the comms, to plan out the data and metric strategy. And we, being very honest, we we delayed the launch a couple of times mm-hmm. just because we didn't feel we were quite ready. Yeah, and I think all of that stuff helped contribute to the success of it. Yeah, if I'm honest. But when Gemma asked the question, "Oh, how long did this take to implement and to get the nine thousand, you know, three hundred employees?" I, I thought you were going to say about three or four years. You know, so so I mean, it's it seems to be pretty speedy. Well, it was sorry. Well, just for clarity, it was probably about a year in the planning of developing okay, okay. of developing the content, yeah, yeah. of planning the data strategy, of getting all the comms squared yeah. away, and then in June we went go. It's available. Okay. It's live. Yeah. And since June, nine thousand people have, yeah, yeah. have have done it. That's still incredible momentum, though. I mean, in terms of employee engagement around it and and doing it to completion. In, in in you know it's it's the simplicity of the carbon literacy and the evidence form is 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 great because it it doesn't act as a barrier does it but at the same time 
you learn so much there. The value is there in such a simple way. I think the other thing we've done, actually, which um, has been really nice, we've made it available to our supply chain free of charge as well. Great. Because then we're all speaking the same language. Yeah. They're our scope three, which we talked about at the start. So if if they know the score that we're trying to work towards, we're all on the same page. So through the supply chain sustainability school, which is um, a platform for clients and suppliers to collaborate we we just made it available to our tier one supply chain for them to just go in and help themselves and they did and they fantastic helped. but I, that was my next question really have others come to you have people in your supply chain come to you and said what have you done how can you help us with this and and there you go yeah lot, lots in our supply chain and you know very flatteringly lots outside so lots of folks across DEFRA and Ministry of Justice and other public sector bodies and British Antarctic Survey and uh, yeah I think the last one actually that springs to mind (laughs) don't think I'm speaking out of term as number 10 came to us and asked us if we could share our experience of um, what we've done with carbon literacy because they're going down that road too which is amazing to hear. It is amazing to hear yeah. um, And we said all along and we said with all of our sustainability stuff actually if we can go first and you know we'll stumble and fall over occasionally which we do but if we can share that learning and we can help other people accelerate their journey then so much the better because climate change isn't a game that anybody wins we either we all win or we all lose so um would much rather we all win I suppose a question that you know you've been in this space for you said 20 years you know and 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 people say the last couple of years there seems to be more activity around sustainability now because of course of the urgency and the uh, um and the 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 impact that we're all feeling and, and the targets and this is the decisive decade um how does that sit with you? Do you feel like do you feel like that's you know we've not we've we've waited too long? You know, is that frustrating? Uh, I mean, it is what it is, isn't it? It would be there'd be zero point in me saying "told you so." <laughs> there's like literally zero point in saying that. So I'm all for absolutely embracing it and running hard with it and go brilliant you're here now yeah. let's go yeah yeah um i think the challenge the, the the big challenge is really helping people genuinely understand the scale and the pace at which we need to operate yeah because doing some doing some you know it's good that everybody does a bit but yeah corporates doing a little thing here you know kind of well well done but they need to be doing it at a pace and a scale that's commensurate with the challenge that we face which is pretty colossal yeah yeah i'd say i'd say big big corporates and and governments now need to to stop with the incremental changes and start with the transformational uh changes and and thinking bigger and and faster and and the only way we're going to know what works to to start trying it isn't it and some things are going to fail that's inevitable that's life um but those things that are successful will take us forward fascinating fascinating conversation and i think i think we could just chat you all day about (laughs) about the various elements of it but um we like to wrap up each of our podcasts with the same three quick fire questions we'd sometimes on the last one put a little bit of a spin on it but our first question to you is can marketing save the planet 
I think the right marketing can. I think we 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 talked about that that transformational piece, you know, shifting mindsets to a different way of operating, causing a system, enabling a system level change. So, yeah, it can if it if it's perpetuating the take make throw away culture of people just consuming and consuming, then no, probably not. No, but I think no. it absolutely can. Absolutely. And what about what business looks like? What do you hope business looks like in the next 10 years? Uh, The word that immediately springs to mind is restorative. Mm -hmm. So a a business that nurtures people, a business that recognises the value it takes from nature and a business that restores and nurtures uh, nature, I think, because all business relies on nature, you know. Mm -hmm. There is no business on a dead planet. No, no, no. And they did some calculations, didn't they, on on how big, big business wouldn't be profitable if it was paying for the resources it uses to make its money, which was a very interesting report that came out recently. Um, And our final question to you is, if you were to give one piece of advice to others around getting started with carbon literacy, what would it be? Oh. Um, gosh, I, I know what I want to say, but it's so unlike me. But I would say um, plan it really, really well. Under, understand the outcome you're trying to achieve. Plan it really well and use the brilliant framework from the Carbon Literacy Trust, which, which they provide. So um, take the time to plan it. Think slow, act fast. Yeah. Amazing. Beautiful. Perfect. Wow. Well, I've loved that conversation, Simon. Thank you so much. So much in there to unpack with yeah. our with our listeners. So, thank you for that. You're very welcome. It's been a it's been a pleasure actually. It's flown by. Yeah. It has indeed. Thank you for joining us.